You're listening to episode 52 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. The World Health Organization estimates that there are 300 million people worldwide who suffer from depression and 260 million who suffer from anxiety disorders, many of whom live with both. I am personally part of that statistic. I have suffered from depression and anxiety is something that I cope with daily. I'm quite vocal about my anxiety. I know what triggers it and I know what I need to do to calm myself down. But I I know I am extremely lucky to know how to be able to cope with this in a healthy way. And I know that being able to talk about it is not something everyone can do. And that's okay. I'm not always strong. I don't always have the answers, but I vow to always bring light to the subjects that are hard and to always be a sounding board to those who are in need of someone to talk to. Please know that if you are struggling with depression or anxiety, you are not alone. This week's guest has also struggled with depression and anxiety and has made it part of her life's mission to be an advocate for mental health. Through her podcast, Hope to Recharge, Matana Jacobs is proving that community is vital to recovery and that together we can break the stigma around depression, anxiety, and bring hope to the world. Are you ready to meet Matana? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life, conversations with everyday Shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today I am joined by Matana Jacobs, Mama Five, CEO and founder of Charge to Recharge, and the podcast host of Hope to Recharge. Matana, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to have you join me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is exciting to be on the other side of the microphone and being asked questions instead of asking the questions. Really <laughs> I, exciting. Thank I know. You recently launched your podcast, Hope to Recharge, and I just wanted to say congratulations because you're already making some waves. I saw you hit the new and noteworthy chart right off the bat. I did, and I don't even know these charts. I'm very not tech savvy, so I, I keep on getting like pictures from my audience or people that are following me. I'm like, oh, guess what? You reached that and you reached that. I'm like, how do you find these apps? (laughs) me to this world of understanding how you get to these places. So yeah, it was really exciting. And then yesterday, somebody said to me that I got to the top 200 podcasts. I'm like, what? what? I'm like, what? I said, it has to be faulty. Can't be real because I'm only podcasting for two months. Like, I know you're, you're crushing it. Thank God. Thank God. It's been an exciting, exciting journey. So thank you for having me here. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm so honored to have you. Our conversation today is really based around mental health, which I know and believe it to be one of the biggest key players in our overall health. But let's start with getting to know you a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what got you to this place today. Okay. So it's not going to be a two minute, um, uh, journey. So, gonna, <laughs> so you'll just have to hang on because the mental health comes a little bit into my journey of life. So I was born in the States, but I moved to Israel. I grew up in Israel. Um, I moved there when I was two years old. I'm Orthodox. I'm Jewish Orthodox, extremely Orthodox. Um, we, we grew up in a very sheltered community, um, but extremely loving 
I grew up in poverty. My parents never had real um, access to funds to give us what we, what we thought we wanted, but they always gave us love. Mm. We grew up, I'm one of six. My home was a tiny little house in Jerusalem, but always had room for 20 or 30 people. It was like the, the walls that expanded. My parents are the most loving, loving pe- humans ever. And they couldn't give us physical stuff, but they always gave us love. And that was um, one thing that I think took me through my journey in life. When I I went to an Orthodox school, I was very shy and timid and quiet girl. I didn't have my voice. At 18, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I started volunteering in a special needs school and I became very close to a lot of the kids there. And I used to bring them home for the weekend or take them shopping. And I was like, I was in love with them. I got in. I got very close to one of the kids there that um, had to be hospitalized for open heart surgery. And I did some night shifts at the hospital. I got in touch with his sister that was telling me that she's traveling to Hong Kong for a year to do um, volunteering in the Jewish school there. I said, I'm coming along. She's like, but I don't know you. I said, well, I'm coming along. (laughs) And I came home that morning after doing night shift in the hospital. And I said, um, I said to my mom, Mom, I'm going to Hong Kong for a year. She's like, you're 18. You, you're not going anywhere. I said, yeah, I'm going to Hong Kong for the year. She said, what are you going to do there? I said, I'm going to teach in the Jewish school. I'm going to be involved in the community. And I'm going to start my life and I'm going to find my voice. Mm. So she was very against it, but I was so determined. It was a f- I was very strong-minded, as quiet and shy as I was, a very determined girl. I, was v- I, I knew what I wanted. And when I wanted something, I got it. And I convinced her to, to say, okay, give me the blessings to go. My father was very okay with it. They did some research where I'm going to live there. What am I going to do? I even got a salary, which was beautiful. And it was the most growing experiences in my life, in my life. Because you go to a strange country, Hong Kong. And those days, I think email was just introduced to the world. So we emailed home like once a week. Mm. And I spoke home, I think, every other week because phone calls were so expensive. And I had to grow. I had to find my myself. I had to, it was not an easy living situation at all. And um, we worked very hard and we had to integrate in the community. Coming home after the year, I just found who I was. Mm. And I said, okay. This is who I am. I'm going. To, I want to start um, my life, and I'm going to go learn um, graphic artist. I thought I'm going to be a graphic artist. After working in it for two years, I realized I don't like graphic artists, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I need a change. So, my sisters, my two older sisters, worked for one of the largest software companies in Israel. The CEO was a powerful woman. Her name was Rachel. I love her to death. She's my mentor till today. And she always said to me, when you're ready, come join your sisters in my firm. And I said, but I don't know anything about software and I have nothing to give you. So she said, you don't worry. You just come work by me. She Mm -hmm. said, "I, I see something in you and you will go far in life. And I said, I don't know what you see in me. There's nothing that I can help you in your firm. She said, you just come follow me for two weeks and I'll find out what you are good at. So when I was burnt out from uh, working for a digital printing company, I went to work for her. And it was a very scary experience in the beginning because I'm meeting all these 
big CEOs and I'm following her. I'm like her shadow. And after two weeks, she's like, okay, you're done with me. You're going to be a project manager. I'm like, what? What? She's like, yeah, you're going to be a project manager. You have the potential. I'm going to teach you what to do. I'm going to send you to courses and you're just going to jump into it. Within, I think, six six months, I already had a team working underneath me. Wow. And I was running government, um, big government software um, uh, projects that she got. And um, the one thing that she always said to me, she said, I, you have a side to you that, em- that has soft kindness and connects to humans. And when you don't know something, you know how to say, I don't know. And you know how to go to people to ask for help when you need help. And she said, that's something very big in, in this world. And, and you're going to go far. Within a year, she gave me a company car f- with paid gas wow. and a beautiful salary. And I was, I think, 23 at the time, 24. And I was just growing so fast. And I was traveling the world. I went to Australia, to China, to Thailand, to Africa, Europe. I just was living the life. Yeah. And my mother was like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to marry? <laughs> now, as an Orthodox girl, usually you get married early, like mm-hmm. 19, 20. You start, oh. you start looking for, yeah. So my sister got married when she was 19. My other one was 22, and that was late. So mm-hmm. 23, 24, not thinking of marriage or not interested is late in, in my community. Right. And um, I... I dated here and there, but it wasn't anything serious. And then my husband came to Israel and we met, we met, it was another crazy story. And I dated him. I was 25. I dated him for six months and we decided that we're going to get married. Now, at that point, I was so involved in the business world. I was a powerful woman. I was, I had everything I wanted. And I knew that once I get married, I need to leave the world to build my family. I knew that I couldn't do both. It was too hard for me. So uh, we decided that since he's from New York and I'm from Israel and his business is in New York, I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to disconnect from everything and start a fresh life. Yeah. So we moved to New York. We have one, two, three children and... We were getting to know each other, building life. We bought a home. We built a beautiful home. Everything's going great. We're going back to Israel twice or three times a year. I'm living the dream life, right? The mom, the stay-at-home mom, the supportive husband, everything is great. I go to Israel once um, for my sister. My sister made a bar mitzvah, and I went to Israel. I came home. My youngest was two and a half or three, something like that. I come home. It's right before a holiday, and I crash on the couch. Before I know it, I feel like I'm dying. Mm. I literally feel like I'm dying. And I, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I say, Ari, Ari, my husband's Ari, Ari, I'm dying. He said, what do you mean you're dying? You're sleeping. I said, no, I'm dying. And he looks at me and said, no, just breathe. You're fine. You're jet lag." I said, no, Ari, I'm dying. And I start hysterically crying. And I said, call an ambulance. I'm dying. I feel my heart's coming out. Something's happening. And within a few minutes, I stop talking. Mm-hmm. I go into complete shivers and, um, and I pass out. Wow. But that, yeah. So at that point, he calls 
the ambulance. I wake up, 15 EMTs are around me. And they're taking my vitals or they're checking my eyes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, like, I, I can't really talk, but I'm like, I want to understand, like, why is everybody around me? Yeah. And they, I see them speaking to my husband on the side and I, I'm too weak to talk and I'm shaking like a leaf. My heart, I think, was 220. My heart rate was like, Whoa. yeah. And they're like, we need to get her to the hospital now. Um, so we go to the hospital they're trying to check everything. They did a heart, EKG, EEG, lung test, vitals, blood work, a brain scan, everything. And everything came out perfect. Hmm. Perfect. And I'm like, no, do it again. I'm Something's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I felt death. I know, I, I know life. And that was not life. That was death. I'm telling you something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. I'm not going home. They're like, listen, we want to talk to you. And then they brought somebody in and they said, what you had was a panic attack. Mm. I said, a panic attack? What's a panic attack? So they started introducing to me this whole idea of um, mental health and anxiety, depression. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, this cannot be. Now I had a a family member that um, not in my immediate family, but very close to us that um, suffers from schizophrenia. And the idea of mental health was something that I wanted to just avoid. Like any mental illness or problems with thinking I'm crazy. And I look at the doctor and I said, does this mean I'm crazy forever? Mm. And he said, no. You're going, to, you're going to go to therapy. You're going to work on it. We're going to teach you what happens when a panic attack is going to come again because usually once you have one, they just repeat. And the fear of having one is one of the things that causes anxiety and causes depression. So we're going to teach you what to do. So I go home. I'm processing this. I had maybe six panic attacks again in, in six days. Oh my God. I, yeah. And I keep on going to the hospital until they, until they finally told me, okay, you don't have to come back to the hospital. You'll have to just deal with it. So they taught me how to breathe and they were, and I started like reading up about it. And I said, okay, I have to figure this out. I have three children. I have a life. I'm young. I think I was 30 something, 33. I must, I must find the answer to this. And I went on a quest of finding a way to heal. When I, it took about three months until I hit rock bottom. When I mean rock bottom, it means I couldn't get out of bed. I lost 20 or 30 pounds. I wasn't swallowing. Like my goal was to finish a half of a protein shake a day. That was my goal. So just like full-blown depression at that point. Yeah. Full-blown depression, anxiety, fear. Um, I wasn't sleeping at night. It was, it was horrible. And I have three kids. Now imagine three kids yeah. coming into mommy. Yeah. You're a mommy, right? Yeah, mom, what's wrong? Like I can't. Exactly. And you don't even have the proper words of what to say. You're just like, I'm not feeling well. And they're looking at you like, you look fine. Mm. Um, why are you not functioning? Why are you not getting up in the morning? Why are you not getting yourself to school? Why are you not smiling? Mm. And... I, when I hit rock bottom, I asked my mom, 
to come in from Israel. I said, listen, I can't do this anymore alone. I need support. And my husband was super supportive, but he was taking care of the kids, like running the household. Right. I was in bed right. and, and running the business, you know? So he flew my mom in and I said, before we, and I said, listen, I need to heal and I need to heal in a place that's familiar to me. So I'm going to go to Israel. We're going to take our family to Israel. It was the summer. It was the beginning of the summer. And, um, whenever, and my kids were still little, so it wasn't such a problem to like stay long if they missed school, because I think my, my oldest son was in second grade, maybe. Okay. It wasn't such a big deal. I said, my health comes first. And I said, okay, before we leave to Israel, I want to go again, I'm going to go to the top heart doctor, the top, um, brain surgeon, the top lung specialist. I want to get everything scanned out to make sure that this is really mental health and nothing else. So we went on a round and what was so supportive and one of the messages that I want to get out there for anybody that's listening and has a loved one that's struggling, whatever the, the person that's struggling with mental health is going through is not rational. It's mm-hmm. not rational. If you can support them through their fears, and I'm not saying give them everything that fulfills their their idea of fear, take, taking away the fear, but if you can give them a little bit of security, that will lead them to the path of finding healing because they're going to realize that it's not that and then they're going to seek for a deeper meaning of health and they're going to find the way. Mm. Which is so important. Yeah. It's important that you bring up how, I think it's really hard for us to, if you're on the other side of it, being the supporter of someone who's depressed or battles anxiety, a lot of people don't know how to help. Um, that you know, you want to help, you want to be there, but not knowing how sometimes can, can really be a pain point. And not only that, they, it breaks people apart. Yeah. Because think about me. I was like, I say I was a happy-go-lucky person. I was, I was very active. I was always entertaining. I was always traveling. I was alive. Right. I, I, I use the word alive because I really felt alive. And then I go to somebody that cannot function. So mm-hmm. you suddenly, you, you lose that loved one that, that you recognize and you're, you're like thinking, who is this person? Like I didn't, I don't recognize this person. So it's a lot of fear for the person that's not going through it to say like, how do I connect to them again? Mm. And there's a sense of loneliness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so true. You bring a really good point. So, so when, when you say how to support a lot of a lot of empathy, a lot, a lot of empathy. And it's hard to give empathy when you don't know what the person is going through. So what I say is find support groups that of other people that are supporting that you are together in the same journey and you can get tips because it's not easy. Mm. Mm. Well, you have had quite the journey. Um, I think that a lot of people really relate to anxiety. And if you've never had a panic attack before, it's downright scary and debilitating. I do want to comment that I like that you said your, your doctor originally told you, oh, it's anxiety. You have to you know, learn how to breathe. There's ways to cope with this. Whereas I feel so many doctors are just like, here's Xanax, exactly. here, you know, here, just Medicaid. And, and we know like, okay, that might make you feel better, but it's just like putting a bandaid over it. 
Absolutely. You're not not healing. You're, you're just kind of numbing it. Absolutely. And I actually interviewed my psychiatrist yesterday. Oh yeah. I interviewed him on my podcast because I went to another psychiatrist before I got to this psychiatrist and the other psychiatrist exactly said exactly what you said. Here's Xanax. Call me in two weeks. Mm -mm. And the Xanax made me suicidal. What? Yeah, I know yeah. it has a different effect on everyone. So yeah. that's even scarier. Yeah, and I was having, it, it wasn't like I wanted to kill myself. I always say this, when someone says I'm suicidal, it doesn't mean that they want to end their life. It's not like, oh my gosh, I'm going to kill myself tonight. No, right. we are so much, we are in so much pain. We don't know how we're going to survive another moment with the pain. I, right. I, people that don't go through it don't understand, but I already visualize all these people that are nodding their heads, listening. Yes, you're right. Yeah, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that pain is so hard and you're so afraid that you won't be in control of yourself and you might do something to harm yourself because you just can't take the pain anymore. Mm. So the Xanax did that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I need something really different. And I called my aunt that's a therapist in Midtown Manhattan. And I said, tell me who the top psychiatrist is. I said, I don't care how much it is. I don't care how much. This is life and death for me. And she said, go to Dr. Pauker. And um, I told my husband, do anything you can to get me in there ASAP. He gave me a three-hour consultation, three hours. Wow. And what I say about him that was different about many other psychiatrists out there, he didn't just say, oh, you have depression, anxiety, explain to me step by step what my brain is going through and why I have this fear and why they're connected and what is the method of healing. And he didn't, and he actually said, you're going to need to learn to do yoga, meditation and breathing Mm. in order to heal, which was so refreshing from a psychiatrist to say that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, especially like, that's like music to my ears almost, you know, because like, well, I know from, you know, my standpoint, those are like the ground layers of helping you heal. Like meditation, mindfulness, yoga, connecting to your breath. Like I think it really gets overlooked of how powerful that is and it can change the chemistry in your body. I I think people don't truly understand that. It does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if he wouldn't say that to me, and the first time I met him, he, he looked me in the eye and he said, Matana, I'm going to tell you, you can feel better. There is a way to, to feel better with depression and anxiety. Mm. I could give you medicine and I'm going to tell you how many months it's going to take until it kicks in. And what are you going to do until then when panic attacks come? But I'm going to tell you, you need to start healing from the inside, not only taking medication and things are going to change. And I took it so seriously. I'm like, okay. And I started yoga every single day. Wow. You went hard. Yes. Yes. It was like my husband knew I go to yoga every single night. I put the kids to sleep. I was out to yoga sometimes in the morning. That was my thing. Yeah. And, and I, I started connecting to my breath, starting connecting to my thoughts. I went to therapy, everything together. And I went to healers and I was on a quest to heal. And one of the messages I want to give to your audience is this. There is no one way to heal. Mm. No one way. And every person has the answers inside them 
how to heal from whatever they're going through. Mm -hmm. And you can find mentors and you can find therapists and you should find, you should find a good therapist. You should find a good uh, holistic healer if you're into that. You should find a good nutritionist and you should find good practices of mental um, thoughts and and controlling your thoughts. But all the answers come within yourself and you're going to find the path that works for you. Mm. That's so true. And it, and it, it may take a couple of times to, you know, try something out. Oh, that was, that wasn't for me. Try something else. But yeah, your intuition definitely knows deep yes. down what it needs. And let's talk about you. You've already said, mentioned on it. Um, you said your, your family member had uh, schizophrenia. So that automatically just put this stigma around mm-hmm. mental health for you. So in your opinion, now that you're more educated, how do we break that stigma around mental health? Oh, you heard that breath? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because um, I, it, it's my passion now that my podcast that I started was all about breaking the stigma and bringing more conversation. And I believe that the, each story that comes out And each person that's going to tell their story, even if they didn't succeed what we call healthy, maybe they're on medication for the rest of their lives. Maybe they still have manic episodes. Maybe they still struggle with depression. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But when the conversation comes out and we are together in it and we remove that shame and we remove that thing that says you're different than us because we're all the same, we all struggle with something, that's when we're going to start healing from the inside. And that, and it will stop killing people. So the more we speak about it, and from day one, I spoke about it. I was not ashamed at all from day one. I was, this is what I'm dealing with as if I had pneumonia. Mm. This is what I have. Who can help me? Who can give me advice? And the quicker we ask the world for help, the quicker they will bounce back to help you. And they'll be so generous with information and so so much compassion and empathy that will give you courage to heal. I always say my support system was the number one thing that helped me go to my to, to my healing process because they believed in me. They gave me, they cheered me on. If I was doing this in silence, I don't think I would be here speaking on your podcast. I would probably be under my covers if I was alive by now. Yeah. And silence is a killer. Like we always feel, I think when, when we're silent about something, it's, it's almost like a layer of protecting ourselves and um, being more vocal about it and knowing like, from your, your standpoint, now where you are in this, in this journey, you're able to sh- hold space and share stories of other people who have struggled. And in that moment of time, how powerful would, ha- would have been for you to just know that there's other people out there who are going through this. Um, so just holding that space and sharing this and bringing awareness is, is so big of you. I love that. Um, and not only that, I want to add on that, that it's actually healing when you know that you invited somebody else to share their story. Yeah. So you're creating a space that when you share yours, if one of your, somebody that's listening to this, if you're embarrassed to share your story, find a support group 
find a church, find something that you feel comfortable sharing your story and feel comfortable in it. And then you'll see that suddenly you're going to find a community that's supporting you. And there's such a sense of relief there. Yes. I love that. I love that. Let's switch gears a little bit. You're a wife, um, a mom to five kids, a world traveler, you own a business. How do you juggle it all without getting back to that point of being burnout? (sighs) How? Another big breath. (laughs) Yes, another big breath. A lot of deep breaths, a lot of nurturing myself, a lot of nurturing myself. I I have rituals that I put into my day-to-day schedule that it's mommy time, it's my time, if it's yoga, if it's meditation, if it's lunch with my friends, if it's taking time out with my husband, we're we're very into that. I take a lot of help. I have a lot of help because I need it. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of support and, and connecting to you, to myself, and knowing what I need in order to continue. And I learned this early on, that when I nurture myself, I have so much more to give. So I'm selfish in a way. I really give myself. I'll go to a massage once a month. I'll do my manicure-pedicure. I'll go for, I'll take my kids out. My kids know that once a month, I take each one out once a month for breakfast with mommy. There are certain things that I do. My husband and I, every morning, have breakfast together. It's 20, 25 minutes, but it's our time every single morning. Mm -hmm. So we schedule things in. I'm not going to tell you sometimes it doesn't get overwhelmed. It gets very overwhelming, very, (laughs) very, very overwhelming. And I don't think anybody has a life that's not overwhelming. But when you have these little pockets of something to look forward to, or you know that your time is coming at the end of the day, it gets you through it. And also when you do things that are so satisfying, it's an adrenaline rush. Mm. Yeah. I, lo- I love those like little moments. And that's something that early in motherhood, I, I never did. I don't even really think I started to schedule time for myself um, mm-hmm. until probably the last year when I, and I've said this on the podcast before, so sorry to our listeners, you've heard me say it before, but I used to feel I, I'm a bath person. Like that's just one surefire way to just like calm me down in the evening to just kind of chill and relax. Um, there was, oh gosh, like a seven year period where I just, I was home with my kids running my business simultaneously. Oh my gosh. Um, Right. So, I mean, they were home with me. Wow. Um, and I was, you know, doing the entrepreneur life and last, uh, I, actually, it was two years ago now. My youngest daughter went to daycare two days a week because, you know, I, I had like the separation anxiety probably more than she did. I was like, oh, my baby. I'm like, two days a week. So then I found myself on that Tuesday and Thursday trying to cram in everything I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And then I would feel guilty. I had this mom guilt, like nothing else. If on a Tuesday, you know, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, I would take that bath. Mm-hmm. Because to me, I'm like, I, it felt like I was cheating myself or like cheating my business. This is wow. my set times away from my kids. How could I be so selfish to take 30 minutes during that day? Like it was really this mindset of like, 
hey, you have two days a week where you need to hustle. No other, nothing else can be done. And one of my mentors was like, no, 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 no. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know who told you that or like where that came into play, but take that bath at at noon and and you enjoy it. And you know what? While you're at it, have a glass of wine if you want. Absolutely. She's like, at what other time are you allowed to do that? Because even in the evenings when I used to do it, my kids would still run in, you know, like, Hey mom, I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Mom's trying right. to have some alone time here. Right. right. He had told me when you have it, take it and, and drop the guilt associated with it. And once I accepted that mm-hmm. and released the guilt, Oh, game changer. And just yeah. in everything that I do for myself, I no longer feel guilty about it. Yeah. And I, I, I want somebody to do an essay on that. Why is it that moms feel guilt when they give themselves something? Because I suffered from that. I still sometimes suffer from it. Yeah. And like, why is that? We are yeah. the most productive humans. Yes. <laughs> Multitasking. So why? And if we would be speaking to our friends, our best friend, we would say, go take that bath. Of course exactly. you deserve it. Self-compassion. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but why is it that we go with that guilt and that we don't deserve it? I, I, I'm dying for someone to do an essay on that. Like, what is behind that guilt? <laughs> yeah, this actually just came up in a conversation I had earlier today with um, Liz Carlisle. She has um, she runs mother motherhood unstressed, and she was like, "Where did this come from?" And I was like, "I don't. It may have been social media, you know, just like painting this picture perfect." But I really think it goes it goes back deeper than that because I know mom guilt has has always been a thing. Moms have been doing this journey for a long time and and being the backbone to the household and and knowing everything and yeah, I don't know where it came from or or why we just have this ingrained in our minds to be yeah, but I must and, tell you that I believe I'm sorry for interrupting no you. go for it. I want to tell you that I'm going to tell all the listeners out there that if you deal with mental health, the number one thing is self care. Self-care, self-care, self-care. If you don't have issues, make sure it doesn't come by giving yourself self-care, self-care, self-care. So self-care is a must, 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 must. It's going to prevent crashes of our emotional states. And if you are in it, it's going to bring you up to a healthier place. Mm, I love that. Self-care is so big. Yeah. It's so great. Where can our listeners go to connect with you further and learn more about Hope to Recharge? Because I know this is a mental health topic. I think we could go on for another <laughs> for another long episode, but I also don't want to cut into your time as well. Thank you. So it's hopetorecharge.com is my website, hopetorecharge.com. And it's on all the um, apps, iTunes, um, Google Play, Stitchers, um, and there's we have a community. If anybody that wants to join the conversation on breaking the stigma, and if they could bring some um, inspiration to supporting those that are struggling with mental health, those we have an online private group, and it's called Hope to Recharge the Community, and that's where we chat and we hang out. I love that. I love it. Matana, thank you so much, not only for joining me today, but for sharing your truth, your light, and your purpose. You are doing important work, and I cannot wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much for having me, and good luck with your journey. Thank you. 
Thank you again to Matana for holding space and doing the work to help raise awareness to the importance of mental health. Links to Matana's website, podcasts, and social channels can be found on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast updates to make sure you get your podcast news in your inbox each and every week. Connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at at MindBizLife. I'll see you back here next week for a very special one-year podcast anniversary episode. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.